please open in your Bibles to Matthew 7. We are continuing through our series on the Sermon on the Mount. If you notice, some of you may notice we skipped over the worry passage, but that's because I preached on it already. And I do have it recorded, so I figure rather than repeat it so soon since I preached it a while back, we'll just go to the next section. So we pick it up in Matthew 7. last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. And we will continue on through Matthew, by the way, so you know, uh, when we're done with the Sermon on the Mount, we're just going to keep going forward. So we're going to be looking at verses 1, and we're going all the way to verse 12. Because believe it or not, it all sticks together, and I don't want to pull it out of its context. So Matthew 7, 1 to 12. Let's stand together for the reading of God's authoritative inerrant word. Hear God's word to you this very morning. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. May He bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. Please be seated. My brothers and sisters in Christ, if you were to make a list of the words of Jesus that have been the most abused, misused, and quoted out of context, a number of verses from this passage would be at the very top of the list. They would definitely make the top ten, especially in America. How many times have you been in a conversation, I know I have myself, where right and wrong are being discussed? And someone chimes in and says something like this, Now, now, remember what your good book says. Judge not, lest you be judged. But is that what Jesus really means? Is Jesus saying that under any circumstances, we should never make a discerning comment as to whether a given behavior or a particular lifestyle is wrong or right? Is that what Jesus is saying? Or I think of a time, another verse that's twisted a lot in this passage. One time I was a young believer in central Jersey, and I was sharing a little bit of the gospel 
trying to, with a friend's mother. And I said, well, then how do you inherit eternal life? How do you get saved? How do you get to heaven? And she said, well, I always believe, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Hmm. So that's another question. Is that what Jesus means when he says, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you? Is Jesus saying, this is the way to heaven? Still, and then there's one other one, of course, that's twisted very nicely. And we know when Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. <laughs> I've actually heard a preacher say, if you want a car, don't just tell God you want a car. Tell him what kind of car you want. But don't just tell them what kind of car you want. Tell them what color you want it. I literally heard a preacher say this. But is that how Jesus expects us to understand his words on prayer? It doesn't take a Greek scholar to figure out that Jesus' words are being twisted and they're taken out of context and they're, they're being used in such an instance to feed the selfishness of man, not the glory of God. If Jesus isn't saying that we should never make moral judgments or that doing our best to keep the golden rule will get us to heaven or that we can ask for whatever we want and God will give it to us, no questions asked, then what is he saying? That's what we're going to spend our time with on this morning. Looking at Jesus' statements in their proper context so that we can do two things. Number one we need to do is we need to be able to explain to people what these words of our Lord truly mean. Because if people say these things to us and we say it doesn't mean that, then they're going to say, obviously, what does it mean? And I'd say we need to know the answer to that question. Second reason that these, these words are very important of the Sermon on the Mount is we need to understand and apply them so that in the way that our Lord and Savior meant so that we can apply them in our own lives the way that our Lord and our Savior wants us to assimilate them and live them on a day-to-day basis. So it's in order to answer people, but it's also in order to digest and apply for ourselves. So what we're going to see is this, very simply. Citizens of God's kingdom should not stand in hypocritical judgment of others, but be discerning in how they minister Christ's love to others. I'll say it again. Another, we'll put it this way. Servants of Christ should not stand in hypocritical judgment of others, but instead we should be discerning in how we minister Christ's love to others. That's, that's really the main message of what we're going to see. So first of all, and this really I think we're going to spend the most time on, so don't get nervous, as I like to tell you, by the time we get to end of point one, you're going to go two more points to go. It's okay. This is the longest one. So I'm telling you ahead of time so you can relax. And the first one is this. Don't stand in hypocritical judgment of others. Jesus spends a lot of time on this one. Look at verse 1 again and 2. Do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So the question, what kind of judging is Jesus forbidding here? Well, first of all, and I'll show you from the text, we can rule out any idea that Jesus is forbidding us to make moral judgments or from using discernment. Now, I'll tell you why we can rule this out from the get-go. Because in the very next few sentences, Jesus tells us we have to be discerning and we have to make moral judgments. So, for instance, he says in a few verses later, he says, do not give your pearls to swine. Well, we have to make a judgment, don't we? We have to discern who are the swine that we are not 
to give the pearls to. Later on, he says, watch out for false prophets. You'll know them by their fruits. Again, we have to discern. We have to look at fruit. We have to discern whether they're a false or a true prophet. That's a moral judgment, isn't it? And then, of course, when he says in a few moments, he says, first take the plank out of your own eye. Then what? Then you'll be able to see clearly to do what? Take the little splinter out of your brother's eye. So that is a judgment. You see that something's wrong. And in love and in grace, you help them remove that. So certainly he, is, he cannot be saying that when he says do not judge, that we should not ever make moral or discerning judgments. So then what is Jesus forbidding? Let me quote from John Stott. I only have a couple of them from him this morning. You'll be relieved. But he says this. He says, what Jesus is forbidding here is not assessing people critically, but to judge them harshly. The censorious critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous toward their mistakes. Does that not ring true inside? I mean, the bells are all going ding, 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 ding when I read that comment. That's why I'm like, I need to bring this. It's exactly what Jesus is referring to. He's referring to the type of judgment that's best left to God alone. Because God and God alone knows the motives of a man or a woman's heart. God and God alone knows how hard that person has fought or not fought to try to stay out of that sin. And God and God alone knows the circumstances. Someone once said this, there's something wrong with a man as with a motor when he knocks continually. (laughs) I like that. In the old days when the motor's always going, you know, like that, you know something's wrong. Well, with a human, when they're constantly judging and, and condemning, there's something wrong with the heart. Heart of the matter is the matter of the heart kind of judging that Jesus is forbidding is destructive, not constructive. It tears down. It doesn't build up. It hurts other people. It doesn't help them. What good is it? To, how, how is it good to pounce upon a fellow Christian who's struggling with a certain sin in their lives with this vindictive, mean-spirited zeal of a lion who hasn't eaten in a week? <laughs> you ever meet people like that? Unfortunately, I have. I'll give you one little illustration. Not as extreme as that by any means, but still I think this will bring it home to you. Uh, I think I might have mentioned this to some of you, but this is one of those, like my mom would say, it's good to repeat. When I was in one of my other pastorates, this woman, when we would have fellowship and over a meal, she would keep complaining that one of the sisters was missing church. And she would always, I can't believe she didn't come to church again. And finally I was like, that's it. I, I usually try to just keep my mouth shut, but it, I know you don't believe that about me, but it's true. <laughs> you should see if I didn't try to keep my mouth shut. So anyway, so I finally said, oh, so you're really concerned about her soul. I said, so what's really bog, bog, bugging you so bad deep inside is that your dear sister is missing the means of grace, that she's not getting the chance to be with God's people and, and have the word of God wash over her and, and have Jesus magnified in her life. Is that what's bugging you? And to her credit, I give her credit for this, so this isn't a negative thing, she said to me, good point. You're right, I never thought about that. 
And she acknowledged that wasn't what bugged her. She had bad motives. Brothers and sisters, this is not the way that we are to behave in the kingdom of God. Our king himself here warns us in no uncertain terms that if we judge others like that, then we can be sure we're going to be judged like that. The same way. And Jesus goes on to illustrate his point, and that's why we're spending a little bit, a couple more minutes on it, in verse 3 and following. Listen again. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now just stop and drink in this picture that Jesus gives us just for a second. And uh, nobody could say that our Lord didn't have a sense of humor. Here you have someone, and in the text it's like a log. It's like a telephone pole just protruding out of their eye, and they're attempting to take, do the delicate work of trying to take a speck out of someone's eye. I don't know about you, but I don't even want to touch somebody else's eye. Never mind. So all you could see is I could see him when he turns in the room, and he goes, oh, oh, everybody's got a duck. That's the situation. And Jesus says this, you hypocrite. That means you play actor. Take care of your own glaring issues first before you go ahead and help your brother deal with an issue which in comparison with yours are minor. That's the issue. A.H. McNeil writes this, Our unkind criticism takes on the form of a kindly act. Evil is in fact parading as good. I saw an awesome cartoon of this. There were two Christians standing together, and the one I think had his Bible and was held up like this. And he says, I'm coming to you in Christian love. And the other picture, the, the other Christian is decked out in body armor with, with a shield. And that, that really is a picture of how often it goes, isn't it, in the church? When someone, I have a concern. And then they take out the cannon, the bazooka. Fa-boom! We play the part of the holy writer of all wrongs in our brother's life. We come, and the funny thing is, we don't even realize in so many instances, at least, especially the instance Jesus is talking about, our issues are more serious. And we really are a hot mess. And it's funny how clearly we seem to see their problems and how we just can't get it when people try to gently show us our need. If we want to live genuine, real, honest Christian lives, then it's time, what Jesus is saying here, to reverse that. It's time to deal honestly and ruthlessly with our own sin and much more graciously and compassionately with the sins of others. Certainly, this is a major part of what it means when Jesus says later, he sums it all up and says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Let me put it real simple for you so you can't miss it on the way out this morning. You want to judge? The best place to start is with yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. Bring it on, but bring it on home. Deal radically with your own sin and deal graciously with other people's sins, your brother, your sister. Commentary on Matthew, Howard Voss, a Dutch theologian, says this, One who would reprove the fault of others must first judge himself. In doing so, he will become so aware of his own imperfection and his own need 
I'm sorry, and his own need for forgiveness and compassion, that when he's called on to judge others, he will do so with moderation and love rather than in self-righteous smugness and severity. You know I've said this, and I'll say it a million times more, Lord willing, before I go to be with Jesus. We should extend the same grace and mercy to other people's sins that we do to ours. And we should be as hard as our, on our own sins as we are on the sins of others. That's the reverse of our natural disposition, but it's more constructive, it's more helpful spiritually and to other Christians and to ourselves. So what Jesus is saying is we're not to judge harshly, we're not to judge hypocritically. We are to judge honestly and lovingly. When we see our brother hurting or smarting, we should really come alongside and say, how can I help? What can I do to help you? And sometimes, in many cases, we won't even need to go as far as to to come to them and confront them, and I'll tell you why. Usually when God convicts somebody about something in their life, and they're serious about it, and God leads them to repentance, no matter how big or little the sin, what they do is once they've confessed it and turned from it, they look up and they say, they look around the church, who can I go to that I feel has their act together that's walking with Jesus and has a decent walk that I, I can trust to help me now? And I'll give you a great example of this. Um, and yeah, it's very close to home. And that's this. For a long time, many of you know this, um, I, I was very overweight. I still got a long way to go, don't get me wrong. But I was so overweight... And I knew I had the problem, and I just could not get myself motivated to do anything about it. Um, some of you don't have weight problems, but it could be smoking. It could be whatever it is that you have issues that you're wrestling with. And with me, it was weight, and it always has been my whole life. I go up and down. But when finally the Holy Spirit worked in my life, and I woke up one morning, and I said, I'm done. Something has to change. I knew that was the Spirit's work, but then once I knew I needed help, I went to Charlie. And I said, Charlie, I know you're really good with nutrition and with working out and things like that. Give me a little regimen. Tell me what I need to do. Charlie didn't even have to come to me and say, you fat pig, lay off the table. How about that? You laugh. It doesn't work very well, but I'll tell you what, in my life as a kid, I heard it too many times. And it makes you go home as a kid and cry and not ever want to see that person again rather than get the help. And that's true of any sin. And I'm not even saying this is always sin issue. Sometimes weight isn't a sin thing. Uh, but sometimes it is. I've, ha- I've been at churches and, and I mean at a fellowship meal and somebody said to me, boy, you need to push up off the table. Did that really help my problem? No. But this was an issue. I went and Charlie helped me get the speck out. Maybe it's a little bigger than a speck, but... So... Do not judge hypocritically. Do not judge harshly. That's what Jesus is talking about. Secondly, be discerning in how we minister Christ's love to others. Look at verse 6. It's a rough one. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. If I was going to preach just on that verse, I would entitle the sermon, When Not to Preach the Gospel. (laughs) That would get a lot of attention. People say, huh? But that's right. Jesus himself tells us to refrain from sharing holy things with certain people that he calls. He's allowed to call them that. Dogs and swine. And you have to understand, 
In our modern world, when we think of dogs, like I myself think of dogs, I think of lovely pets, a man's best friend, you know, that's the kind of thing I think of. But in the ancient days, in, in the times that Jesus is speaking, dogs were like the scavengers, wild beasts that, you know, you didn't want to be hanging around with. They were dirty. They weren't nice pets. And swine, obviously. Swine were in the mud all the time and filthy and that type of thing. And what Jesus is doing, he's likening certain type of people to, to these creatures, these filthy, nap, nasty scavengers. And here's the, the people that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about those who have heard the gospel and who have stubbornly rejected it. They treat holy things as common things. And they'll own, they're only going to use your presentation of the gospel and your love to literally turn around and trample you and do damage to others and to the church. I'll give you a, a real quick example of it. Um, once we were in Schenectady, in, in inner city, and we were... Um, advertising that we're going to do a living nativity and then have a, a Christmas service in the city. And so my friend had some cows and he brought one of the young calves and we were walking the calf, literally just walking him down the street to advertise. This young guy, I guess a college age kid, comes running out of one of his houses with his girlfriend and a camera. And all he did was abuse us, say, you're abusing this animal just for your stupid religion. And he just started really getting belligerent. And then he's like, tell me where you're going to have this worship service so I can bomb the building. And I'm like, I ain't telling you. Oh, I'm not allowed to go? I said, no, you just said you're going to bomb the building. Why would I tell you where it is? Christians are to be innocent and gentle, but we're not to be foolish and naive. And there's a time where we have to actually get to a point with people and say, no, you do not deserve the truth. You know, that's the interesting thing about the parables, I've read a lot of preaching books and I've taken a lot of classes on preaching and some of the modern uh, books will tell you, oh, you know, Jesus told parables so that people could understand through simple stories. Do you think that's why parables were told? No, it says in the text, parables will, told, will be told so that people hearing they will not understand and seeing they will not perceive. In other words, par- Jesus said things in parables so that only the initiated would be able to understand. In other words, only those whose God's hearts, God's, Spirit was changing. Those who could handle it. That's why Jesus would say, for he who has ears to hear, what? Let him hear. For others, the secrets of the kingdom have not been given. I think of one time Paul says to Timothy, watch out for Alexander, the metal worker. He has done damage to our cause. He's belligerent. In other words, you don't keep preaching to him. Ecclesiastes 3.7, there's a time to be silent and a time to speak. Real quick, Matthew 10.14-16, Jesus tells his disciples this, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Now, we find this interesting couple of verses on prayer right here. That's the interesting thing. How often these verses are pulled out of the context. Look at verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Listen, why are these words here now? I'll tell you why they're here now. Have you ever tried to deal 
harshly with your own sin? (laughs) Have you ever tried to say, I'm going to just rip this out in the root with God's help and I'm going to turn from it and never do it again? Anybody ever try that? How many people here would say, that is easy? Eh. How many people feel that it's easy to go to a brother and help them remove the speck? Eh. Right? How many people feel it's always easy to discern when to treat someone like a swine or a dog in the sense that Jesus is talking about? I think it's very, very, very clear here that Jesus is saying, here is how you get the power to put my words into practice. Ask God for wisdom and you will receive. Seek the answers on how to proceed in these relationships and you will find knock and the door will be open to you. And that's the whole analogy. Listen, God says, you're evil. And you still give good gifts to your children. They ask for bread. You don't joke around and give them a stinking snake that's going to bite them, even though you're wicked. How much more is your heavenly Father pleased and delighted to give good gifts? The problem is we're too weak in our asking. We're too inconsistent. And in that sense, we don't want it bad enough. And I'll give you a great example. I was over at uh, Ray and Kathy's one day. I'm trying to talk. And little Calvin comes running in. Can I ride on the bike? And, and his mom explains to him, well, because so-and-so has the bike, no, you can't ride it right now. He gets all upset. He runs in. I don't know how many, a few minutes later, comes in, can I ride on the bike now? And I'm like, Seriously? You know, I haven't had kids, these kids, little kids in a long time. And so he gets a little, you know, little time out in his room. He's crying for a little while. He gets back out. He's allowed to play. Literally a few minutes later, Calvin comes back in. So now can I ride the bike? And I finally just said to Kathy, man, this kid's persistent. I said, I've never seen such persistence. And actually, before I said that, Kathy said, okay, now it's time. You can go on the bike. Use your helmet. And then it hit me. That's exactly how God wants us to come to him. Like Calvin came to his mother. Persistent, persistent, persistent. Because that's the point. Even though we're evil, we finally give in. Right? Not necessarily always for great motives. Like, especially if it would have been me. Kathy was doing great. But for me, I would have been like, dude, just ride the bike. Leave me alone. Now, the whole point is, God wants good things for us. But we got to ask. We got to seek. We got to knock because everyone who asks will receive. Everyone who seeks, you're going to find. Problem is we seek the wrong things and then we find them. God here is saying, seek me, seek my gifts. Seek the ability and the grace to do what I ask you to do. And then I had another really quick experience with it too. And we're almost done. And that is uh, <laughs> my uh, daughter-in-law loves crabbing. She's been asking me all summer to go crabbing. And unfortunately, I have been straight out. And the truth is, I actually love crabbing. It's one of, the th- one of the only things my dad did with me when I was a kid, because he was a bricklayer and worked like crazy, was he would take me crabbing. So I have very warm memories about ca- crabbing, but I just couldn't get to it this summer. So a couple days ago, she texted me, can we go crabbing today? I said, well, we'll see if I can get my work done by the end of the day, blah, blah, blah. I'll text you. End of the day, I'm smack dab in the middle of the work. She goes, any chance we can go crabbing? Text me. I'm like, Ugh. I said, unfortunately, I didn't get the work done. You know, maybe another time. The next morning. So what about today? Can we go crabbing? I'm like, Ugh. So I said, and my answer this time was, probably not. I don't think I'm going to be able to do it today. 
that night, guess what happened? You ready now? Any chance we can go crabbing tonight? <laughs> that won me over. I finally said, you know what? I know my sermon might not be finished the way I like it or whatever. I really need to go crabbing with her. And the point is, Again, me being evil and sinful and still with her persistence, I went out and we did a great thing. By the way, we went and we crabbed over by that shack that I knew about since I lived here, but I never tried it. It's beautiful back there, crabbing right towards sunset. It was really nice. Anyway, silent. But anyway, so there it was. And it's the same thing that God is saying here. Ask, seek, knock. Your father wants to give you these good things. Augustine's famous prayer captures the idea here well. He said this, O Lord, command what you will, but give what you command. Do you get that? Command what you will, but then Lord, in other words, enable me to do it. Punchline of this whole thing, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Here's the issue. Step in the other person's shoes in any of these situations and ask yourself, how would you want to be treated? If you had the speck in your eye that is obscure in your view, but you need somebody to come and help you, how would you want them to approach you and how would you, what stance and attitude would you appreciate from a brother or sister? John Stott puts it this way. If we put ourselves sensitively into the place of the other person and wish for him what we would wish for ourselves, we would never be mean, always generous, never harsh, always understanding, never cruel, always kind. Isn't that true? Confucius who was that, uh, the Chinese wise man, and also rabbis in the Jewish tradition, had something similar to the golden rule, but they put it in the negative. Don't do to others what you wouldn't have them do to you. But Jesus stands it on his head and says, no, 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 that's not by any means positive enough and loving enough. Because that basically says you could just leave somebody alone and never be involved in their life. Like the one man said, oh, he, that guy was a perfect uh, neighbor. He minded his own business and never bothered anybody. <laughs> well, we know that's not a perfect neighbor. A perfect neighbor does get involved when we need it, does proactively help in our time of need, like the Good Samaritan type of thing. And so Jesus says, do unto others like you would like them to do unto you. I'm going to close with this. Talked about at the beginning of this message, the golden rule is not the way to become a Christian. It's not the way to get to heaven. The reason it is not the way to get to heaven is because it sums up the law and the prophets. But reality teaches us, as well as the Word of God teaches us, we cannot be saved by obeying the law. Because there's no one here or anywhere on this earth today. <laughs> Who treats everyone exactly the way they want to be treated all the time? We all fall. And so really what Jesus is having on the Sermon on the Mount is a family conversation. He's talking to people who have repented and believed and who have joined his kingdom through faith in him. And if you haven't done that yet, that's step number one 
to kingdom living is becoming a kingdom son or a kingdom daughter. And that's the good news. That Jesus came and he loved his neighbor. And he did unto others exactly, perfectly, as he would have them do unto him. And he represents you before the Father if you do trust in him this morning. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your mercy and for your grace. How we thank you for these words of health, spiritual health, that truly clear our vision, that truly work in our hearts what's pleasing in your sight. Father, enable us to make right judgments and godly judgments that we might be a help to others and that we we might be a joy to you. And Father, we pray that you would enable us more and more to ask and to seek and to knock persistently, just like Calvin and and like Tori did this past week to me, Lord, that we might prevail with you and that we might receive all the good gifts that you can't wait to give to those who really want them. So be with us now, and Lord, we do pray. Command what you would, but please give us what you command, for we are your children bought with a price, the precious blood of your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday Sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New City's Sunday Sermon.